Good morning, campers. Today's activities will include preparing to take down any fires that happen, but no fires will happen. It's fine. Lunch today will be uh, Fruit Loops. Follow your nose. And to end the night, we will be naming comets after each other. Oh. So put on your sunscreen, bug spray, and camp uniform as we dive into Roxanne. Roxanne. Action! <laughs> you know what? The timer was just counting down, right? It was inevitable. Let's let's just get it out of the way. <laughs> Marishka Hargate, Sarah. Marishka Hargate, Sam. I am your camp counselor, Sam, an ex-pro wrestler and trainer. <laughs> Training. Uh, let's do it all from the top again. <laughs> no, no. I'm pushing Fuck it. it. We'll do it live. <laughs> the only way out is through. And current drag wrestler manager. And I'm camp counselor Sarah, a budding astronomer or astrologer. There's really no difference. And we're here to ask, is it camp? We're diving into popular culture of all kinds to loosely identify what makes something camp. We are not here to be the definitive experts on it, but rather just talk about this often overlooked and frankly queer subgenre. Roxanne. Roxanne. Welcome to Romance Month, campers. I love oh, romance. A, that, oh, oh, thank God. I'm so <laughs> glad that was a, a sigh into happiness as opposed to a sigh and you just going, Sam, why did you choose this? <laughs> no, no, quite the opposite. I, I love romance. I love romance movies. I love romance books. Uh, I hate people. So <laughs> give it all to me in fiction. Yeah, um, I think it, it just doesn't get the praise it deserves because it's, I mean, yeah, it's been a super sexist world we've lived in. Surprise! And romance and rom-coms and things of the like have just been constantly looked down upon because it's women's fiction. What is it? It's Pose Law, where it's like 90% of anything is shit. And... That's the thing. People hold up the bad, the lazy uh, romance ones to paint everything with that brush. Yeah, because, I mean, is there a lot of bad romance out there? Yes, of course. There's also a lot of bad slasher films and sci-fi films and action films and drama films. And everything's got bad things. But it's, it's the same problem of, well, we don't pay to make action movies starring women because they don't do as well. And it's like, yeah, but so do a ton of male action-led films. Shut the fuck up. Yes, absolutely. And when you think about, you know, some of the biggest movies of all time are romance films like Titanic. Titanic isn't a movie that you can ignore the romance in. That's the key to its success, you know. Um, but there's also the point that, you know, romance is often shoved into everything as a subplot. And you can argue about whether it's, it's done well. Yeah, well, that, there's my issue. When romance is just plugged into every movie and thankfully i think we're moving further and further away from that like that there needs to be a romantic interest it's mm -hmm. not happening super fast but yeah what's happening like uh shang chi where was the romance in that there's no romance yeah they're they're good friends and that's that's the love 
I, I really enjoy that they're good friends. And of course, other people can look into it and say, no, nah, that's totally a romance. And you know what? Good for them. If you want to see that as a romance, absolutely fine. But I think they're just two friends who are on such a wavelength, like Sarah and I. Yeah. That, um, you know, they, they do weird stuff that looks almost romantic. Oh, you two finish each other's sentences kind of thing. It's like, nah, we just know what the other one's going to say. It's okay, Sam. Sometime I'll get you to propose to me. What? Propose? <laughs> with what? Um, what is your history with Roxanne? So, I've seen the film once before, years ago, when we had a DVR. Really? Because, yeah, yeah. It was what I would do when I came back from university in the summer was if I was working, I'd be working. But during the times I'm not working, because the DVR was this fresh new technology, and all of a sudden my mom had all these cable channels. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to record just a bunch of movies from uh, Turner Classic Movies and the Sci-Fi Channel and everything. I'm just going to mm -hmm. record movies, right? I still One do the same thing at my mom's house with TCM. <laughs> yeah. Because there's so many films that I'm like, I want to see that. I've heard about it. Because I like I remember the poster. The poster for this movie is iconic. Right? Are you talking about the one where it's sort of like her kind of faded out and it's him like tipping his hat to her? Yeah, him in the yeah. tuxedo, her in the O of Roxanne. Yeah. Right? And like I remember seeing that on VHSs at the movie store and looking at it and being like, what is this? Why does he have a long nose? And, you know, wh why is he dressed like that? And what's this about? And, you know, just the wild child speculation that you go through. And then I, mm -hmm. I did see it uh, during one of those summers. And I remember at the time being kind of uh, let down by it, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. Just like I was expecting so much more. It didn't have the big bombastic moments that other romantic films would have, right? None or other the, Steve he, Martin films. He doesn't run through the airport to try and stop her from getting <laughs> on that plane. Yeah. Right? It, it doesn't really have that. It's This is a very quiet romantic film, if mm -hmm. that makes any sense. It's and how about set in you? a sleepy town and you feel that energy throughout. Mm-hmm. And your history with the, with the film, Roxanne. Uh, this is one of my dad's favorite movies, and it's also a movie that I grew up with as it just being one that was on TV a lot, like Ferris Bueller. And my dad doesn't really like to watch movies more than once, but mm -hmm. when he does, like, there's five or ten that he'll watch a couple times. So it'll be like, you know, Shawshank Redemption or, um, oh gosh, Big Fish. Or this, he his favorite scene is the insult scene where he's oh, he's coming up with the different nose insults. So good. That's such yes. a good scene. So I just sort of grew up with this. I can't remember seeing the first time. I just remember growing up with this in the background with dad going, oh, Roxanne's on. We got to watch it. Yeah. I, when I brought this up to my mom, she was like, yeah, I remember seeing it, but I don't remember liking it. It's just like, oh, okay. All right, nothing to add to the conversation, Mom. Thank you. Uh, 
my it's kind of weird that my my dad produced me because he's not really a movie person oh yeah the other movie that he'll watch over and over again he really 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 loves mama mia and queen and abba that's where i got my disco love from oh okay all right yeah. that's fair but i i mean this is what i love about film and art and the arts is that you don't have to like all of it you don't have mm -hmm. to be invested in every facet of it but i earnestly believe that in every art form there is something out there for everyone Something Absolutely. that just connects in, in your brain and you go, aha, I get it. I love this, this thing, right? Mm -hmm. I'm still waiting for the day that there will be a reggae song that comes on that I go, <laughs> this is fucking great. <laughs> but it's out there. It, it's out there. I believe it's out there. I just haven't heard it yet. Yeah. Right? And, and this is one of the things I keep talking to people about, right? When they ask, oh, you like comic books? And I'm like, I love comic books. There's a comic book out there for everyone. I bought my dad like Pride of Baghdad because you know, it, it's something he's like, oh, I get this. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It's, you know, that comic isn't my cup of tea, but great, I love that you love this. It's funny, one time I loaned my mom um, American Gods and she was on vacation with my grandma. No, not American Gods, Good Omens, Good Omens. Mm -hmm. And she was on vacation with my grandma and both of them read Good Omens, which if you don't know is by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. And they both came away with it. It was the first time either of them had read either author. Mm -hmm. And they both came away with it going, I love this. I want to read everything else these people have ever done. And my mom read Terry Pratchett and Discworld and went, I don't care for it but she <laughs> devoured she devoured sandman she loves it um my grandma likewise got to a certain scene really early in american gods by neil gaiman that turned off a lot of people uh it involves a cat uh if you know you know and then she promptly went and read all of discworld so you know they both found different things out of good omens mm-hmm Right. And I'm, I'm the person that's like, I love both of these authors, but Good Omens, when I read it, I was like, I was less than enthused about it. Like, Me oh, too. I, 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 I was I too like excited for it. The, the weaker parts of both of these very strong authors working together. Yeah. The, things where, how they both structure, uh, don't necessarily mesh. No, because Gaiman is very much about the long story. Like, yeah. I have an end point I am getting to, and all of these pieces I'm setting up will get me there, whether you know it or not. But Terry Pratchett, on the other hand, is like, oh, I have a pastiche I want to use to get this message across. He's also much more of a joke machine, and I don't mean that in... Uh, an insulting way at all. He was no. literally the best that has ever done what he did. Uh, but his ability to craft jokes is beyond anyone, and especially beyond Neil Gaiman. Yes. Neil, Neil Gaiman's not a joke-heavy guy. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. But anyway, back, back, back to the plot at hand with Roxanne. Uh, is there background information you'd like to take us through? Yes. So Roxanne, as as most people know, is based on Cyrano de Bergerac. It's 
uh, it's even cited in the opening credits. What do you know about Cyrano de Bergerac? So Cyrano de Bergerac uh, is one of those texts that is referenced to death in, like, I, I remember growing up in the 90s, I felt like there's there's the, these handful of literary properties that cartoons love going to the well for in order to do an episode, right? A Christmas Did Carol. You, Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. Uh, anything that's kind of a, a Jane Eyre kind of feel. Mistaken right? for spies, you know. Yeah. yeah a like sitcom these, plot that you can adapt. Mm-hmm, right? Nothing too heavy. Like, they're not doing uh, Titus Androgynous. Androgynous. <laughs> <laughs> anytime soon, but Cyrano de Bergerac is one of those ones that would keep coming up of this dude wants to talk to that lady, but he can't because he, because of X reason. So now he's teaching this guy to talk to him, her instead. And then mm-hmm. some jokes basically involving mistaken identities, the end, right? Mm-hmm. So I never really knew the original text, I can assume, I can infer from the films uh, and cultural references that A, this is a play, Mm -hmm. and B, it's a comedy. It's sort of a comedy. So we're going to talk about Cyrano de Bergerac and the author Edmond de Roston. So Cyrano de Bergerac was a real guy. Um, okay. Yeah, (laughs) he was a he was a French nobleman. Well, he was sort of French. He was French in that way of like he lived in what we now consider France Um, from the 1600s. He was among many other things. He was a writer. He wrote what you could probably consider some of the earliest sci-fi stories. Really? Yes. So let me see here. One, he wrote three books in this series. The first one is called Comical History of the States and Empires of the Moon. And it uh, has a protagonist also named Cyrano who straps bottles of to his belt. And this allows him to float up to the moon. And this is the beginning of the trilogy. Um, Great. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not sure how Do got him there, but hey. Um, it was I, really science. It was either that or bloodletting. <laughs> so I sent you uh, two texts earlier with two pictures. Now, the one that looks like um, an illustration, like an etching, that is purportedly of the real Cyrano de Bergerac. Oh. So you can see, like, he's got a schnoz on him. But it's not what you would say, it's not what C.D. Bales has. It's not the prosthetic that everybody who plays Cyrano now has to put on. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got a Gallic nose. You'd say, yeah, I guess that guy has a pretty big nose, but it's not the most distinguishing characteristic about him. No, no. I mean, I, like, the royal court has far worse facial features going on. Oh, yeah, he's not a Habsburg. No. Uh, what if we ran jeans into the ground? <laughs> uh, so then in 1897, this playwright called Edmond Rostand um, wrote the play Cyrano de Bergerac. It's in rhyming verse. 
there are a ton of adaptations and translations of this. The most famous one, uh, or the most famous recent one, is by Anthony Burgess, who wrote A Clockwork Orange. Really? Yeah, I found out while doing research on this, Anthony Burgess, not only a tremendously prolific writer, also a composer, considered himself a composer, a music composer, uh, just as much as he considered himself a writer. And he also translated several uh, famous uh, works. That's so the, the Anthony great. Burgess one is the one that I've seen performed. Okay. Um, so is the general, it, is, yeah, is it still in rhyming couplets, as you said, in, like in the version you saw, sort of some of it is a little bit more free verse. I felt like it was so the version I saw was um, a taped version of a New York one where Kevin Klein played Cyrano and uh, Jennifer Garner played Roxanne. Wow, um, it's very, very good. She is weirdly miscast in it she's doing something very different to what everybody else is doing i don't think she's necessarily bad in it she's just doing something different she got different well, direction it it happens every once in a while somebody drops that ball yeah but if you want to see a version of cyrano de bergerac in english i would strongly recommend this it was shot within the last 10 years or something like that I mean, it's Kevin Klein. It's Kevin Klein. Um, the unfortunate thing is near the end of the play, as, spoiler alert, Cyrano is dying, the prosthetic starts to slip off his face a little bit. What? Cyrano dies? Honey, this is a tragedy. What? Okay, so we're going to go a little bit over <laughs> the plot of Cyrano de Bergerac. Um but yeah, the happy ending for Roxanne is pasted on. Uh, so Cyrano de Bergerac is a nobleman serving in the French army. He's sort of a wit and a great swordsman and things like that. But of course, he has this huge nose, which he hates. And if anybody mentions it to him, he attacks them. He's not only um, tremendously intelligent, he's also a fantastic soldier. So for example, the first scene of the play takes place in a playhouse where everybody's gathered around and like, oh, they're putting on this play, but Montfleury is this terrible actor and Cyrano hates him so much. He's even threatened to say, if you ever are, are on this stage again, I'm going to attack you. <laughs> <laughs> so Montfleury is going to put on this play and everybody's standing around going, what's Cyrano going to do? What's Cyrano going to do? Roxanne is also there. She's in the box. So Roxanne in this is Cyrano's cousin. Ugh. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. That part I do remember as well. I going, But way back when, this, this was not the taboo, quote unquote, yeah. that we have at the time, where now we realize, hey, guys, that's how you Habsburg yourself up. <laughs> <laughs> I also read a thing a while ago that was talking about, like, a lot of the time because your cousin is family they get a lot more like you actually get to interact with your cousin as a person yeah and and it's all about keeping property within the family as well right yeah so not only do you know these people a lot better than you would know any other potential suitor uh, and you're comfortable with them then yeah it is the financial consideration as well 
Yeah, but I mean, what are you gonna do A anyway? Yeah, we we can't we can't judge them for the traditions of the time within certain contexts. Yeah, right. When you're poor, you gotta keep that shit. So Montfleury arrives and he starts acting, and of course he's terrible. This is very much like Hamlet. Um, speak the speech uh, prettily, I pray thee, uh, or trippingly on the tongue. Speak the speech trippingly on the tongue. Uh, so Cyrano jumps up on stage and just off the top of his head composes a sonnet about how bad Montfleury <laughs> is as an actor <laughs> we, while he is sword fighting him and at the very last line stabs him. Fuck yeah. This yes. is dope. <laughs> Uh, there's also a guy called the Comte de Guiche, which just assume that <laughs> just assume that any male character in this play is trying to get with Roxanne. Yeah. So the Comte de Guiche is the head of the military order that Cyrano and later Christian serve in. The Comte de Guiche badly wants Roxanne. At the same time, we find Christian. Everybody in the battalion says, listen, Cyrano is going to show up. Do not make fun of his no nose, whatever you do. Yeah. 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 Uh, then, uh, sorry, I have mixed something up here. Just a second. It's okay. Do, 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 vamping for time. Do, do, do. There's a lot so, of French names in this that I'm like, I've got to keep this simple. I've got to cut a lot out. Just skip over the French names or what, whatever you got to do to keep oh, yes. your okay. head. So here we go. So we meet. Um, no, we don't meet. Christian <laughs> sees Roxanne here. He falls in love with her immediately. Uh, and Roxanne's like lady's maid comes up to Cyrano and says, Hey, Roxanne wants to talk to you later. Uh, Cyrano is then so happy about this that Christian meets him, accidentally says something about his nose because he's concentrating so hard on not saying anything about it. And Cyrano is so happy that Roxanne wants to see him that he's like, yeah, you're fine. Uh, Roxanne and Cyrano talk the next day. She talks about somebody that she's fallen in love with, and he gets really excited because he thinks it's him. But then she describes her beloved as handsome, and he realizes that he's not. She wants to talk to Christian, and she asks Cyrano, can you please protect him in the army? Uh, Cyrano writes a letter to Roxanne saying, you know, I love you and all this. Uh, but when Christian tells Cyrano, like, listen, I also like Roxanne. I would like to meet her, but I'm terrible with girls. I can't talk to them. Cyrano just straight up says, like, here's a letter that you can give her that I've already written. Huh, convenient. Yes. <laughs> um, from then, the balcony scene starts where Roxanne is... Up in her tower, Christian is down below. He originally starts talking to himself, but he's terrible at it. Cyrano starts coaching him. This is like the sitcom plot, obviously, this scene. Yeah. Uh, eventually, 
Cyrano just takes over. He's hiding in the dark, and uh, he himself woos Roxanne. At this point, Christian climbs up, and he and Roxanne are married. Because you could do that back then. You could do that back then, like the cribbing off of Romeo and Juliet, but don't look at look make it look like you copied my work. Guys, no, this isn't Romeo and Juliet. It's Blomeo and Blumiet. <laughs> so the Comte de Guiche is mad that Roxanne won't marry him. So to retaliate at her, he decides to take the um, army division and he's going to send them off to Spain. So this means that Christian and Cyrano now have to go to Spain and can't be around Roxanne anymore. Roxanne again asks Cyrano, please, whatever you do, protect Christian. And Cyrano, being the good guy that he is, says like, yes, absolutely, of course, I will be protecting Christian. Yes. Uh, at this point, Cyrano starts writing letters like mad back to Roxanne, pretending that he's Christian. He's also risking death to send these letters because he has to sneak through the Spanish lines every time to mail them. Okay. Um, around this point, Roxanne then is like, guys, I decided to come to the war. I just missed you guys so much. Well, uh, you know, just like you do. I strolled out of the, the where's the, I mean, it's in France, but whereabouts? Yeah. France? Uh, this this is part it? is on like the French-Spanish border, I have, I guess. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah, I just, I just wandered over to the French-Spanish border, check on, uh, you know, my husband and uh, my good friend, Cousin uh, Cyrano. Exactly. And uh, at this point, Christian realizes, like, oh, Roxanne never actually loved me. She actually loved Cyrano because that's who she fell in love with. She fell in love with the guy from the letters. Well, duh. <laughs> and he tells Cyrano, like, you have to tell her the truth. You have to tell her that you're the one she's really in love with. Oh, that's noble. Yes. So far, all of this has tracked really closely with Roxanne. You could yeah. literally just go scene by scene. Yeah. So Cyrano says, you know what? I will tell Roxanne. Then Christian's killed. Oh, no. Uh, Roxanne holds him in her arms as he dies. And Cyrano, watching this realizes I can't tell her the truth at this point. <gasps> I can't destroy the image of her beloved Christian. Oh, no. Yes. Uh, Roxanne collapses. She's carried off. The battle continues. Cyrano lives. Fifteen years later. What? <laughs> holy, holy shit. All right. Yeah, sure. Fifteen years later. So 15 years later, Roxanne lives at a convent now because she never got over the death of Christian. She basically, you know, lives there and prays and she's a good rich woman and she thinks every day about her perfect, perfect husband. She got thee to a nunnery. Exactly. Uh, Cyrano regularly visits her and, you know, they still love spending time together and that sort of thing. Um, now, <laughs> the kind of silly thing about this... How the real Cyrano de Bergerac died is apparently, there are a couple versions of this. One is that somebody pushed a log out of a window and it hit him on the head. 
no. The other version is like he was walking through a doorway and part of it fell down and hit him on the head. Oh no. Some versions of the play have it as like one of Cyrano's many rivals uh, stabs him in the head, that sort of thing. A lot of head trauma. A lot of head trauma. So the point is Cyrano comes to visit Roxanne like they always do. And, you know, they have their time together in the garden, whatever. And he asks if he can read Christian's last letter. And she says, of course. Um, And she gives it to him and he's reading it out loud, but it's getting darker and darker out. And Roxanne goes like, it's too dark for you to be reading right now. What's happening? And then she realizes he's not reading it. He knows this letter by heart. He knows it by heart because he wrote it. She discovers that she was in love with Cyrano all along. Cyrano explains that she never would have loved him. She discovers that Cyrano is dying. What? No! He starts to grow delirious. Roxanne says, you know, it was you I loved all along. And Cyrano fucking dies. Are we sure we want to go see the new Cyrano film? Oh, yeah, it's probably going to have a tragic end. Roxanne is the odd man out. No. Oh, no, because I'm I'm so excited for the new Cyrano film. I want I'm like, I yes, I want epic romance and I want this silly musical and Peter Dinklage deserves his Oscar nomination. Oh, my God. Uh, and I'm going to come out the other end going, it truly was the most beautiful romance of all. It's 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 such utter sap. I was watching Roxanne last night, and I was like, "Love is real." <laughs> Love um, and it's it's the true. Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. It's a beautiful, beautiful love story that you'd be shocked is as old as it is because it's not Romeo and Juliet at first sight. It's two people who've known each other a long time and know the good and the bad about each other and have both fucked up a lot and realize what's important too late. Oh no. Yeah. Um, I cried so hard at the Kevin Klein one, despite knowing what was going to happen. (laughs) You know, it's going to happen. Doesn't make the impact any less, any less meaningful. This is why one of my favorite, unfortunately, ended uh, film review podcasts, which was um, Switchblade Sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hosted by April Wolf. She she would always begin each episode saying, "It's not uh, it's not what happens in the film, but how it happens that makes it meaningful." So, and then she'd say, "Okay, now we're getting into the spoilers." But yeah, and that and that's what she means. It's like yeah. You know that Kevin Klein's going to die. Now I know that Peter Dinklage is going to die. He's probably going to die. This this is the one version, yeah. And yet I I'm going to walk into that movie going I want to see an epic romance and I I want to believe in love. And yeah, I mean we can't we can't all be Amelie with happy, joyous endings as we ride through the streets of Paris. I was thinking of Amelie on my way home today, thinking, yeah, not everybody gets to look like the rebirth of Audrey Hepburn and find true love. Sometimes 
You have a gigantic nose that nobody can see beyond. Oh. Oh. Anyway, uh, if you want to talk about, like, the history of Cyrano de Bergerac, this play is over 120 years old. It's been in fashion ever since it was created. Um, I think the first version I saw, and probably you saw, was a wishbone version. Yeah, probably. Which, that, which that, is very cute because he already has a big old nose. Oh, he's so cute. He, the dog doesn't die in that, does he? I have to imagine he doesn't, right? Right? Oh, no. Is there, <laughs> is there an episode of Wishbone where Wishbone dies at the end? I mean, he doesn't die <laughs> in real life in the show, but because, you know, all, all the episodes are in his dreamscape. Yes. Uh, there's a 1950s version starring Jose Ferrer, who, speaking of which, uh, married Audrey Hepburn, that he won an Oscar for. There is a version that was done at Stratford starring our boyfriend, Colm Fiore. Oh, yes, that's the thing, too. Mm. The other picture I sent you is Edmond Rostand, who looks like Colm Fiore with an enormous French moustache. You shut up right now. Hold on. There's my boyfriend, Colm Fiore. Yeah. And us seeing Colm Fior at Stratford doing this. Like, oh. yeah. Also, like, he's too hot. Not a dry eye or or underpants. In <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's musicals of this, there's versions in uh different languages, there's you know, wishbone episodes literally anything you want there was a version i don't know within the last two years called sierra burgess is a loser on uh on netflix that's just, that's one of my favorite things is seeing how they try to sneak in the name sierra no <laughs> well i mean sierra burgess is it's a it's pretty, pretty good. good yeah that's a pretty good name yeah um and i mean the, the name they use in the film is a bit of a stretch yeah nobody nobody's calling another human being CD. <laughs> God. But, well, I'm glad I now know what I'm in store for <laughs> in the next film version of this that I see because I don't think I can handle that. I don't think I could walk out the other end of the film and call you up immediately and yell at you. Why? Why did you hide this from me? <laughs> he died! <laughs> And you know what? You've got to be Steve Martin to be able to go. Cyrano de Bergerac, at that point, you know, almost 100 years old. Uh, I'm going to be the one to fix it. <laughs> and I'm totally fine with it, right? It's important that we mix things up as often as possible. Yeah, the turn in this is deserved. Mm -hmm. So uh, shall we get into the film then? Let's. Mm, yeah. So... Roxanne is 1989, was it? Uh, 87. It's the same uh, vintage as us. Oh, it came no. out almost Ex exactly halfway between our birthdays. Excellent year. Yes. <laughs> and it begins with the most late 80s music intro ever. <laughs> it's synthesized. It's flowery. I love the font that they're using for these intro credits. It's very um, 
mistral. It's very that uh, spray art on the side of a styrofoam cup. Yes, yeah, it's it's got that uh, 1980s chic for women kind of feel, right? <laughs> Peach and aqua everywhere. Mm-hmm. And we get to see, I mean, if, if you're not aware, they generally put up the cast of the film before the film gets started. And in this, we get to see what an incredible cast we have in store for us in this film. Oh, and yeah. how so many of them do not get used enough. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a real shame because you do have such a good cast. But I would love to also- see a lot more Shelley Duvall in this. Exactly. But you also have to go, you have to say to yourself, but really this is a story about these three people. Mm -hmm. So great that we have Shelley Duvall here. Not great that she's got a total of like seven lines over the course of the film. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we pan down from the sky outside a quaint house in what appears to be Either a quaint suburb or village or town. I think you said this was probably BC, right? Yes. So I didn't realize how much they actually called it Nelson in the movie. So it was shot in the town of Nelson, BC, which oh. is in the interior. I don't think it's actually like a ski bum town like like the movie says it is. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, someplace that your grandparents would go uh, after they retire or you know it's it really is that beautiful there's nothing that you see there that is not nelson or possible no. to be nelson. this this is very it, it the landscape has a very canadian feel to it yeah if you've never been to bc it's a lot like new zealand like we have everything we have high misty icy mountains and also beachfront and also mines and also desert i mean that's why supernatural worked in bc for so long it's like we can be everywhere in the united states turns out x-files too except for the fact that kansas in x-files and supernatural always seem to have a lot more mountains yeah it's a lot less flat yeah so we pan down to this beautiful house and uh, this is where we see Steve Martin come out of the house. But it's very important to know that the camera does not show him up close. He's always small because you see the whole house. Hmm, <laughs> I wonder why we're not going to see him. <laughs> and as he's walking along, it keeps cutting in ways that, oh, it's his legs. Oh, it's the back of his head. Oh, it's his arms. You're like, huh, that's an odd choice. I have no idea what this film is. And I've <laughs> never seen the poster for it. But let's keep going until he runs into uh, these two assholes. Like, it's how you know it's an 80s movie. There's two rich guys in really short shorts. They're just dicks for no reason. And they come out of no... Steve Martin is ad-libbing his way down this street. Because this feels like very Steve Martin ad lib like we oh, just yeah. left he's just adorable. The... He's singing a little song to himself. Yeah, we left the camera running, and this is the stuff he said, and we loved all of it. Yeah. And they point out immediately, before we see anything else, that he's a fireman. Thank 
god, he's a fireman. And not yeah. <laughs> they, think, they think for a second that he's a cop. And we go, no, don't ruin this movie. No, and he turns out to be a fireman. And I breathed a massive sigh of relief where I'm like, great, awesome. I can yes. get behind fireman. <laughs> They're about to point out his nose, but he stops them. And he's still off screen and shot from the back uh, for a while. And it's not until they say, and I quote, quite a hood ornament there, pal. And of course, we get the one shot perfectly leveled at his bust. So that way, he turns around and you can see the nose. So yeah, he's wearing a prosthetic. It's got to be like two inches long. It's it's a good prosthetic. Mm-hmm. Like it genuinely looks like. I mean, it's it's comedic in its shape and its length, of course. Yeah. But like, it doesn't look weird. There's no uncanny valley kind of thing. Like you're aware no. it's a prosthetic the whole time, but you're also not glaringly looking at the seam or anything. Yeah. Like I say in that Kevin Klein version, and you know, he's wearing the same nose the whole time, but you can start to see it slip off his face by the end. And you never have that feeling of being able to see the scene in, in Roxanne. No, it's it's very good. Uh, he is a wordsmith right off the bat because he says, as much as I admire your shoes, I wouldn't want to be in them right now. And then he kicks their asses. <laughs> he has... <laughs> L'esprit d'escalier, but before the scene is over, he he says what you wish you could always have said in that situation. Oh, he, there's something so genuinely fun about the character of Cyrano, who is athletic, who is uh, a sharp wit, a sharp tongue, and a sharp sword all at once. And just his one defining feature is the only thing that holds him back. But in every aspect of his life, he is living his best life. As somebody who grew up in the 90s and the wave of like Shakespeare for teens adaptations that happened at the time, I'm always really interested in seeing how they update certain things. Like in um, Romeo plus Juliet, they just engrave the names of the swords on the guns, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So this is pretty much directly a scene from the play, except instead of a sword fight, he's beating them up with a tennis racket. I I really enjoy that. It's it's so non-threatening, but you know exactly who this man is. You know he's he is in charge, but he's also a very kind man on top of it because you know he could probably murder these two, and it's <laughs> it's not going to happen. And I love the details in this movie that just show how how rich a life he is living. You know, his house is stuffed with books and he knows all these different things. And he's also, you know, the most in-shape guy in the yeah. town and things like that. And he's also just really kind, but will tease the old ladies just to give them a rush. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I made a note of that uh, one of those as well as I was watching the film. I... I loved the set deck work in this film because mm. the houses look lived in. They look, you know, they look clean, which I was like, I was noticing because 
they're so stuffed full. They do really feel lived in, as you say. It made me notice, hey, you know, the beds are always made because when I see a house like this, I don't expect to see that. Yeah, and just having, like, I've seen some set decorators do their thing of making a house look lived in, and it's just the same five moves over and over again. Uh, but there was something that felt really earnest about the way these houses, it's, it's like the difference between British television and American television is that mm. houses in British television always look lived in. They genuinely look like people spent time in them, whereas American houses are too pristine. Yeah, they haven't had the corners knocked off them yet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I wanted to say about that. He's, he's great at what he does. He's super competent. Oh, it's nice to have just a really competent lead character for once. And for where he knows that he's good at something, he he is genuinely confident. Like, like, you know, he knows he's a good friend. He knows his friends truly care about him. That's never an era, uh, an area that he feels upset about. No, there's no dark night of the soul between friends in this film. No. And, uh, I mean, we get this lovely scene of very stage fighting, because they, they do have some, like, we're going to aim our tennis racket and golf club or ski pole. No, it's a ski pole. Why ski pole? It's the middle of summer. At each yeah, other's. It's a ski bum town, but I don't know why you would be walking around with it. Maybe they're those kind of guys who are like, oh, I love walking with my ski pole things to mimic cross-country thing all year round. Yeah, they're like Fred Willard, and they just have some weird scheme up. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, he pokes one of the guys in the eyes with his nose. Great. Love that. And uh, I was left with the question, what if they call the cops or decide to press charges? But the film isn't interested in that. No, because the film needs to keep going. Here we, we need go. to meet the titular role. It is one Daryl Hannah yelling out of a closed window for her cat and gets locked out. <gasps> Naked. And somehow makes it all the way downtown for, you know, the downtown run of a small town. But still, this the firehouse seems to be on the main drag. Like, just go next door, girl. Yeah. Just, but that's that's not the point of what happens, right? Yeah. The point of what happens is... Exactly. Steve walks into Shelley Duvall's uh, diner, I guess. Yeah, it's like a diner. Yeah. Uh, and great fun part where he walks right up to her and just looks around her yelling for her name and goes, Oh, there you are. <laughs> just, it's the most Steve Martin thing. And it also feels like one of those, again, lived in relationships where the way he's yelling, you're like instantly, Oh, that's her. Yeah. He's, he's just so charming. He makes any relationship that's been pre-built feel like it, it's actually deserved. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I love it. I love the way he's carrying himself. And I'm just going to keep saying it. Yeah. I only want, like when I started going gray at 27, I was like, I hope it just goes super white, like Steve Martin. And here I am seven years later, still hoping. <laughs> but also like you want to go gray that early, like Steve Martin, because it makes him look like he hasn't aged in 40 years. No, and 
Steve I Martin mean, now versus Steve Martin in the Muppet movie. Who can tell? A couple lines around the eyes, yeah. maybe a bit of extra weight, but yeah. he's still Steve Martin, charming as as ever. Yeah. So he walks off into the fire station where there's a fire raging <laughs> <laughs> for for no reason. And none of the firefighters are aware of it, despite the smoke. <laughs> and he's, he's yelling at them to come downstairs to put it out. And they're yelling back and they have a conversation while the fire's still happening. <laughs> and none of them are rushing to do anything about it. Yes, it's... this this ongoing plot line of the hysterically bad firefighters is just adorable. It doesn't really have much urgency to it, but it provides hijinks throughout. Yeah, at, at no point. It's it's a nice way to show the parallel between this and the original, right? They're, they're supposed mm-hmm. to be soldiers, and here they're soldiers against fire, but like they're not going to be firefighting Spain anytime soon. So, <laughs> so let's just throw in some fires, I guess. Great. Love it. Daryl Hannah shows up naked. And very asks, naked. <laughs> very naked. And of course the, the mistake of the, I'll invite you in. Oh no, I can't do that. Uh, oh, it turns out you're naked. Ooh, ooh. And so he, as a gentleman, decides to help her himself, doesn't get anybody else involved, grabs his toolbox. <laughs> he tells them, oh, this <laughs> looks like a real boring one. Yeah. Walks her. I mean, is it probably because it's also a beautiful naked lady? Maybe a yeah. little bit, but it feels very gentlemanly of, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm not going to, I'm going to save this woman a lot of embarrassment. That's a good point. Walk- I didn't think of it like that. I, I, I think with Steve Martin, those kind of feelings are naturally built into the character. Mm-hmm. There's never anything malicious about what he does. Everything is the surface level of, I'm doing this for my friend. I'm doing this for love. I'm just a really great guy. Something that I love when CD and Roxanne are yelling at each other later is, yeah, they're having a nasty argument, but they never stoop to anything mean. They still really care about each other, even as they're furiously mad at each other. Yeah. And I mean, we'll, we'll get to that argument when we get to the argument. Mm-hmm. There's so much to digest there. So he tries to unlock the door with his t- only tool in his toolbox. <laughs> he brought his card. whole toolbox. It has a credit card inside. <laughs> credit card. Uh, it's such a good joke. Uh, and it doesn't work. So this is where we find out, oh, he's not just a good fighter. He's a fucking Olympic-level gymnast, apparently. And he, <laughs> yes. He parkours his way up the side of her house, uh, where he also creeps, oh, you know, oh, I hate heights. I'm so afraid of them. As he's casually strolling along, <laughs> opens up the front door. Hooray! Day is saved. It's it's a cute little meat cute. Mm-hmm. And in somebody else's hands, this could be really smarmy. Yeah, there's this really fine line between all the things he says being charming or horn dog smarmy. Yeah. And I I don't know if it's just Steve Martin. I don't know if it's part of the editing or the directing or 
or what have you, I just, I buy it every single time. I'm just like, you know what? He could charm the pants off me too. Yeah. So, scales in, tosses her a blanket, and uh, as she's getting changed, he just makes a charcuterie board. (laughs) (laughs) He just helps himself. He's like, yeah, I figured you'd probably be pretty hungry at this point. Yeah, but the fact that he just effortlessly throws together this this charcuterie board, it's, again, there you go. He can also cook. I mean, granted, charcuterie isn't really cooking, but there's there's a way to put it together. You can't just throw meat, cheese, and bread on a platter and go, eh, good enough. I also think, you know, this was 34 years ago, uh, sliding scale of expected competence in the kitchen, uh, pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just beer. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, this is the first time that she really sees his nose, and she immediately gets taken aback. But pretty soon they get into, like, a really good conversation about philosophy and astronomy. Yeah, it's you find out that she is an astronomer, and he's kind of a, a jack-of-all-trades. He's got a little bit of knowledge of a whole lot of things, and you can tell he kind of knows what she's talking about, but he wants her to let her explain it herself because it's clear she's like, she loves what she's doing, right? She's an astronomer. Mm-hmm. She's talking about quarks and it, it, this is where the romance really begins for me. It's not just the meat cute part. The meat cute is nice, but when he finds out that she's more than just beautiful, that's where he's really interested. Yeah, there's the scene where she explains quarks and gluons to him is truly a seduction. He's absolutely lost by her. This is something that is in the original as well. Roxanne is notably an intellectual of that French kind who would hold salons and things like that, which is part oh, of why that's great. Christian I- was intimidated by her in the original. And I love that they've kept this as... She's an incredibly smart PhD student, so much so that even uh, Charlie can't possibly keep up with her. And this, I mean, I'm I'm sure back in 1987, this would have been like, wow, a rom-com with, you know, where the lady is not just like a high-powered executive or a pretty girl who's hidden away for ages. It's like, no, she's gorgeous and she's... Yeah, she's in STEM. It's it's <laughs> incredible. This feels like this feels modern is what yeah. I'm trying to say. And it's not. And yeah, there's it's so very rare that you see a movie. I can only think of one other movie which is um uh a BBC modern adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing uh starring Damian Lewis where you Is see somebody I saw with you the one where it was a whole bunch news of anchor one yes that's yeah, exactly yeah. what i was thinking of yeah so he uh there's a there's a very similar scene in that where she's explaining a poem to him and he just stares at her and he goes like you are so smart and you can tell that he's smitten and uh it's it's a very romantic scene to me i love it romance isn't bad guys no um so this is where we learn you know his name is 
C.D. Bales. Everybody calls him C.D. or Charlie from here on out. And she introduces herself as Roxanne. And we also get a, an amusing scene where she pours him a glass of wine. And he asks for a straw. She goes, why would you need a straw? And he says, oh, no reason. And then proceeds to try to drink from this glass <laughs> with, you know, a two-inch nose sticking out of his face. And it's, it's quite good. And you actually see later on characters giving him straws mm-hmm. just with his drink. It's like, a, oh, everybody already knows this. And not just in terms of, like, he's going to ask, but we're so used to it. Yeah, of course we bring Charlie a drink with a straw. That's what we do. I heard about um, the phrase environmental storytelling in terms of video games. And uh, I feel like this is this sort of detail is part of it in the movie as well. Mm-hmm. It helps establish, you know, this is a small town. He's lived here his entire life, which is also part of why he's so smitten with Roxanne, there's nobody else like him in the town, and she's the only other sort of intellectual person there. Mm-hmm. It's not a it's not a big fish in a small pond scenario. Like he doesn't have any greater aspirations than where he is right now. He loves where he is, mm-hmm. but it's just she's new, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this is this is kind of the scene where my brain starts to break a little bit. I mean, I like the chemistry these two have. I'm, I've never really been that much into Daryl Hannah. Honey, there's a reason for that. No, but I mean, like, in terms of a female protagonist, right? She's yeah. always just been this very wispy, airy, fairy, kind of wilting flower of, of, a, of a woman, right? She does the same kind of thing in Splash. She does the exact same thing in both Kill Bills each time she does. No, she doesn't do that. The Kill Bill is like the really <laughs> odd one out there. But uh, yeah, I always had this feeling of she's just, she's so breathy, right? There's a scene later on where he's helping her carry her telescope up to the top of the house. And she's dressed sort of like Laura Dern in um, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. Yeah. Where I was, I was like, oh, she's, she's really really pretty she's like the most beautiful woman in this town is she my specific type no uh but she i in that moment i got the idea of if i saw her in real life like this i would absolutely think she was the most beautiful woman i'd ever seen yeah yeah i i can understand that it's Mm -hmm. just in terms of her personality i've never felt the draw to her personality and that, yeah, she's playing I, Roxanne is very quiet. She, she only sort of gets out among her friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's my only negative thing about it, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not, oh, I hate this romance. Oh, it feels so forced, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, I, I get this. I understand why he's so smitten and why she's so smitten as well, right? Mm-hmm. It's, anyway, the, the plot moves forward. Uh, we get two new guys introduced. One is Christian, or in this case, Chris. And uh, an absolute sleazeball scumbag of a character who, quite frankly, could be excised from this whole film. Yeah, and he doesn't need to be there. No, because his his only thing is, look how fucking awful some men can be. And then yeah. look at these two dudes in comparison. But we don't need that. We know how awful Yes, we live in the world. We all know those guys. Yeah. 
So, you know, well, he hits on Roxanne. He's got a huge gross fur coat and things like that. But yeah, you're right. He he doesn't really need to be there. No, and like he does nothing for the plot either, right? No. I mean, granted, there's a lot of other characters who do nothing for the plot, but at least I don't hate every second they exist. Like Michael J. Pollard is one of the firemen and he sort of just makes you feel like, oh yeah, there are other characters in this town who have a rich inner life, much like Charlie does. You know, he just looks like this normal dude. And yet you see, you know, he can knock out a guy half his age and he's reading Sartre and things like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is where we get to meet Fred Willard, who, (laughs) as, as I learned through the film, is the mayor of the town, but is part of the fire team anyway. Yeah, most of the fire team is volunteers, which is part of why they're so bad at it. Yeah, but he's got gusto, and he's also got his personal tailor with him. (laughs) Also, there's this through line throughout that uh, Fred Willard is determined to, you know, boost the town's profile, so he decides to hold Oktoberfest in July, which they never really draw attention to <laughs> the banner once. I'm like, that's that's a pretty funny joke to just sort of brush under the rug. Yeah, he, his kind of recurring bit is just these attempts at making the town bigger than it is. And, I mean, they don't work, but yeah. it's lovely having Fred Willard here, period. Exactly. Right, gone too soon. And by too soon, I mean he lived a long and happy life, I assume. Yes. Ah, uh, great. So we cut to a bar where Shelly and Roxanne are talking about CB, and Roxanne spills the beans that she just broke up with her boyfriend. And she utters the line, I guess I mistook sex for love. And the waitress says, Oh, I did that once. It was great. <laughs> I love the bartender, <laughs> and and she is of legal age to be serving people. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. These are all full-ass adults. Like, uh, Roxanne is a PhD student, but, you know, she she's obviously much younger than CD. But it doesn't feel creepy. No. No, at no point is anything about their relationship with one another creep i mean even when it's going through a third person yeah it it's still like yeah great love this uh pervy guy shows up again fuck that guy go away uh but he calls chris maestro and i wanted to ask you is there something in the source material where christian gets referred to as maestro or is it just this movie i think it's just this movie okay Odd choice. But yeah, that does seem like the sort of thing where it's like, um, what's that thing in Venom that he uh, he refers to them as? The Living Menace or something like that? Oh, Lethal Protector. The Lethal Protector. It's, lethal that, sort protector. Of, it's that sort of thing where you go, this has to be a shout out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that's what it felt like to me, but yeah. Whatever. Um, yeah, Roxanne is trying desperately to get away from this super bird guy. It's not working. And the bartender says, oh, he's just a flirt. I'm like, fuck that. That's not flirting. Yeah. This but, guy's a serial harasser, and it's uh, the most 80s thing in the movie that everybody's like, <laughs> you know him. Yeah, like, this town could easily just murder him and bury the body somewhere. <laughs> and 
No, nobody outside of the town needs to know. <laughs> so Roxanne and Chris make eyes across the room at each other. And you know what? He, he is handsome. He's got a kind of a jarhead kind of handsome to him. Yeah, he looks like Chris Isaac. Mm, yes, 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 yes. But, you know, he's, he's just that kind of bland, late 80s, early 90s, handsome guy. Yeah. Right? Like, you could throw him into a dozen other movies and he'd be a-okay. He but, has a yeah, symmetrical he, face. He does. Oh, that's amazing. Two eyes, you say? Two nostrils? <laughs> Teeth? That's amazing. why I've never wanted to fuck a Picasso. <laughs> it's her wandering eye as it wanders <laughs> over that way. <laughs> oh. Uh, anyway, uh, they make eyes at each other. It's, it's cute. And then he promptly runs out the door and vomits. Because he's so nervous. Because she's so pretty. She's too pretty. He, I've, I do like the way they sort of beef up Christian's role here and his, his social anxiety around women. I do feel like it gives him a really, really good reason to have trouble and has what we would recognize now as panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but back then, it's just being a sissy, isn't it? <laughs> what are you, gay? Can't talk to a girl? Ooh. Anyway, he throws up, and we cut to the next day where CB, uh, he just rescues a kid stuck on the roof. It's a really touching scene because the kid doesn't want to come down because he knows everybody will make fun of him at school for being fat. And... Uh, Charlie doesn't try to tell him that, you know, it's going to be You're fine not or, Nothing or like that. Just... sticks and stones might break my bones. No. He's just like, yeah, it sucks. Can I stay up here for, with you for a while? So good. He's so lovable. And I mean, the, the, the scene amounts to nothing. We never see this child again. No. Maybe in group shots or anything. But there's just so many of these scenes that establish the town as the town. That this is what Charlie does. He helps people because he loves them. Mm -hmm. But the child is being very poorly ADR'd. <laughs> Probably terrible um, sound up on that roof. Maybe. You know, people generally don't record things up on a roof, but who am I to judge? Yeah. <laughs> so everybody keeps warning Chris, hey, CB looks a little funny just don't draw any attention to it don't mention it right and this this keeps happening over and over again it takes a while before he actually meets mm -hmm. uh cd and then we cut to cd helping roxanne up with the telescope like you said where he kind of dickishly withholds help until she gives him his her big dark secret and I was thinking, just tell him a fake secret, girl. Like, <laughs> it's easy. Just come up with something you think is scandalous and then later on go, oh, I lied to you. <laughs> but no, she decides to actually tell him that uh, she thinks she's discovered a comet. And they had this conversation earlier about like the scientific names for ast um, astronomical bodies versus you know, numerical names like M31 and that sort of thing. So this is going to come back later, and it's just this lovely 
through line. Mm-hmm. Again, showing that Roxanne has agency and desires outside of just this romantic attachment. Yeah. And, you know, if you were looking to date somebody who was possibly discovering a new comet, that would be pretty intimidating. Mm-hmm. I mean, think think of it in 1987 terms as well. Like, she's probably thinking, I am scaring men off because I say things like quarks. Yeah. Not everybody uh, finds it incredibly arousing like CD does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like an intellectual thing. Hey, guys, let me talk about X-Men with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, we we now cut to a lunch place, but it's not. I don't think it's Shelley Duvall's place. I think it's like the Honky Tonk Bar. Uh, okay. All right. And it, it is the loudest lunch place ever. <laughs> oh, my God. Chris and Roxanne kind of had their meet-cute happen again, uh, but he gets so nervous, he runs off into the bathroom to try and cool himself down. And of course, he goes to wash his hands, and oh, it sprays all over his pants. Now it looks like he peed himself. The most common fear. I've literally (laughs) never looked at somebody and made that assumption. I'm not spending my time looking at somebody's crotch going, that they peed themselves. But if I see an adult walking around with a wet crotch, I'm going to think that that's exactly what happened. A, a sink sprayed <laughs> on them. Or something happened, right? <laughs> no, I have a spout Blasted. on the front that just sprays evenly. I am a really shitty clown, and I didn't button my flower to my lapel <laughs> too well today. And long story short... <laughs> I tried to pull out a handkerchief to de- to pat myself down, but they just kept coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, another scene happens with the pervert, but we'll skip by it. Yeah. Uh, CD runs into Fred Willard, and now he's got a cow. <laughs> it's going to be the cow of Oktoberfest in July. You know, the cow of Oktoberfest <laughs> in July and cd knows this is a bad idea and hates the idea but he doesn't want to dash fred willard's hopes so he very loudly agrees with him and walks away as quickly as possible but it's also the case in every time cd is being ridiculous about town so there's one tiny bit at one point he leaves dixie's buys a newspaper out of a you know like a newspaper box uh takes two steps reads it screams puts another quarter in the machine so he can put it back you know this is put on for nobody other than the audience's benefit <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's like yeah cd has a has a rich life and has fun with himself aren't we sure it's even for the audience because this just feels like steve martin loves <laughs> just doing things for his own enjoyment. Fuck what anybody else thinks is funny. And I, I mean, that's part of why Steve Martin's so funny to me is that he is genuinely just, this is funny to me and yeah. I don't care if it's not funny to you. Do you know the the arrow through the head bit he used to do? Yes, I know of yeah. it. I've seen it many a time. 
Yeah. So yeah. for those who don't know, he he would come on stage doing wearing that like gag where it looks like an arrow's through your head. It's kind of like a headband thing. Um and then just never mention it. He'd do a full stand-up act and never mention it. And that was the joke. Yeah. I, and it's kind of for his own enjoyment. Yeah, exactly. Of, this is funny. I'm not going to say shit. Yeah. And this is what happens throughout the film. He just delivers lines and he does things where you're just like, why, why did that happen? Oh, because Steve Martin thinks it's funny. Yeah. Cool. Ah. Uh. So, uh, again, we cut to Chris being warned, hey, whatever you do, don't mention his nose. And everybody's being like real, do not mention his nose. Do not get hung up on the nose. And he's just like, how bad can it be? Fred Willard shows up in his best Miami Vice outfit. <laughs> and, you know, for a second, I was like, he's, he's kind of hot. Good, good for you, Fred Willard. You look great. <laughs> Fred Willard, I, I always thought it's like a classically handsome dude. It's just that he always has Fred Willard face on. And doing Fred Willard impressions. Yeah. Of, I, I am grossly incompetent at whatever I am being assigned. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, this is the big scene. That, like, the big scene that stuck in my mind. We go to the honky tonk bar mm -hmm. and some rando walks up to CD and says, heard you're tough. CD walks away. And then the guy calls him big nose. And CD is insulted by this, not because he's mad about being called big nose. He's mad that it's such a boring insult. Yeah, there is a literal record scratch as the bar goes <laughs> Yeah, up. the music literally stops. <laughs> because everybody knows, oh, this is a big fucking deal. And he says, he, he hands this rando a dart. He says, throw the dart. Whatever number it lands on, I will do that many insults better than what you just gave to me. Guy throws it, hits a 20. You know, Steve Martin, Steve Martin's for a second says, huh, you can't do it again. He's like, haha, watch me. I'm a professional dart player. Hits 20 again. Says, oh, <laughs> 20. Ah, oh, ah. Oh. And then he proceeds to, to not just say 20 nose insults, but to label and categorize <laughs> each one of them. And this is just a stroke of genius scene. I don't know if this was Steve Martin coming up with it, if it was written in the script for him, but it feels so organic. It feels so natural. And the crowd is, is enthralled with it. Like they I know. mean, Steve, Steve Martin wrote the script for this as well. He adapted it. <laughs> what? I clearly wasn't paying attention to that set of credits. Yeah. Wow. That's what, that's what makes this movie even more romantic and impressive when you're watching Steve Martin. Okay. So, yeah. Then my question is, did he ad-lib some of this? That's what it feels like, right? Because he's delivering it so well. Yeah. There's pauses. There's parts where he's like, okay. Uh, and then goes on to the next one, right? Not, it doesn't feel rapid fire in that boom, boom, boom. Here's 20. Look how cool I am. It's 
All right, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, give me a second. Got it. Next one, next one, next one. They are so funny. Uh, my favorite one was Paranoid. Keep that guy away from the cocaine. <laughs> uh, I like Pornographic, the only man who can pleasure two women at the same time. Uh, <laughs> There's the one, uh, you must love the little birdies to give them something to perch on, which is from the original play. Oh, great. Love that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's this scene. I would say this is the scene of the movie. If you're me. going to be leaving talking about one scene, it's this one. Yeah. I mean, and he doesn't do others. 20. He goes, he goes over depending whether you're watching the edited for TV cut, which cuts the pornographic one. Um, or, not he does like 27 28 something like that wow i yeah. don't think i had that version <laughs> so beautiful great uh the dude is pissed off for some reason that he's been out insulted you'd think at this point like I, I if i was that dude i'd be like you know what that was really fucking impressive dude and everybody in here loves you clearly I'm going to quietly step away at this point. No, mm -hmm. no, it's, it's, yeah. He he tries to attack CD and CD uh, sings him, you know, <laughs> sing. Solar <laughs> plexus in step, step nose, nose groin. <laughs> yeah, he sings him. Great, love it. Uh. So it's at this point that I realize, oh, we're going to keep on getting a lot of these little vignette scenes happening mm -hmm. in between the major scenes. So it's like, all right, let's keep this going. CD confesses to Shelly uh, Duvall that he would ask uh, Roxanne out, except, oh, I'm just so busy with so many ladies. And then he says his dick's as big as his nose, which causes all the little old ladies at the table <laughs> Go, and then he really comes out with it and he says he's embarrassed because of the nose yeah he can't get a nose job because he's allergic to anesthetic he tries makeup it doesn't really work <laughs> oh god <laughs> you don't think his early contouring <laughs> oh it was worse than my early contouring <laughs> oh it's but he tries all these different things and these little vignettes with him flesh out his character, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody else's vignettes fleshes out the world. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. And this is where the bartender lets him know that Roxanne may be smitten as well. And it gives him a little, Oh yeah. Okay, great. CD then finally meets Chris who cannot take his eyes off his nose and not just like in a, I'm looking at it, but like in the most cartoonish, almost cross-eyed, like, whoa, <laughs> kind of way. And then he emphatically talks about how big the nose is. Just, just I knew it was going to be big, but I didn't think it was going to be big. Oh my God. Like this scene feels real wrong. Like I again, people will stare. People will stare at things. But then when he starts going, "Wow, it's huge!" You're like, "Oh, oh, Chris, honey, oh, yeah." And at first, I thought he was just a regular dude, and then over the course of the film, I was, "Oh, I got it. He's an idiot." 
you know, he likes what he likes. And the problem is he's trying to push himself into a category that he's not comfortable in. He's, he says to Roxanne, you know, he likes making his body look good and working out and stuff like that. And he's really not prepared or not interested in much else. He's, he is a himbo. Yeah. <laughs> he's just, uh, and this scene goes on far longer than I want it to. But because CD has just been told that Roxanne might be in love... He does the one thing which nobody expects. He walks away. Yeah. Uh, We uh, get a small montage of some of the fire boys trying to do fire boys training. It's all bad. (laughs) It's it's all real bad, but just, it's funny. It's goofy three stooges, Marx brothers, kinds of physical comedy. Oh no, the fire hose is lifting me up! Whoa! whoa. Uh, they're all schlubs. It's yeah. great. So uh, we we get to the scene of Roxanne and CD talking to each other, where he wants to confront her about, hey, I like you, and she says, oh, I like a man too, but she says things in such a way that at first he thinks he's they're talking about him, but then she says, oh, he's so handsome. And then he goes, oh, but I'm not handsome, which is an utter fucking lie. Steve Martin is handsome. Yeah. Even with this prosthetic on, he's handsome. Yeah. Yeah. But she says, oh, I just, I love that Chris guy. And CD's heart is broken. Oh. And it's just this quick moment while she's looking away that you see him process it on his face. And then... He puts it on and is happy for her. Yeah, because ultimately, he's a good guy. He knows she wants to be happy this way. And who would I be to try and force myself on her? Hmm, Maybe a regular guy, a great guy. (laughs) So this is is where it cuts to him trying to get his nose chopped off. uh, And we learn that he's allergic to anesthetic, hence why they can't do the surgery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it, a delightful scene of him being like, oh, can I just try out the, the nose cards one more time, please? Fine, I'll get you the cards. And then he, he tries them out in the mirror. Ooh, ah. Just really relishing a smaller nose for a few seconds. I think we can all definitely have that part or parts of our body where we just go, if just this one thing was fixed, you know? Mm-hmm. Why be you when you can be me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Canada. Oh. Uh, yeah, so C- CD and Chris get together, which is where CD tells Chris, Roxanne's interested in you. And good for him for doing so as well, because, you know, most other guys would keep that to themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chris explains that he's real nervous around women, but um, yeah, which which is a nice flaw to see in somebody that physically attractive in 1987. And also, um, if you've ever seen The Big Bang Theory, there's a character with this exact same flaw um, handled in a uh, let's say more misogynist way, uh, which is which it is not treated like here. 
Oh, that's that's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, I I tried with the Big Bang Theory for a bit, and I was just like, these guys are so toxic, and all of the jokes here are the lowest hanging their joke fruits. It gets better as they introduce more female characters later on. But yeah, especially in the beginning, um, the Indian character Raj, who's played by a really attractive guy, uh, can't speak to women unless he's like shit face drunk. Yeah. And uh, anyway, this isn't a Big yeah. Bang Theory podcast. Yeah. You guys can do with that whatever you guys want. Yeah. So CD and Chris. Uh, Chris finally comes up with the plan. He says, I'll write her a letter. If I can't speak to her, I'll write her a letter and tell her how I feel. The problem is he's a terrible fucking writer. Oh my god. Like, ugh, it's, uh, he, he tries to use the word horny at one point. <laughs> and I, I, is, is there a more 1987 kind of colloquialism than horny in everyday conversation is there anything that makes your knees slap together faster <laughs> <laughs> oh god it's 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 real bad yeah and cd's just like no here you know what talk about how she makes you feel and blah blah he's trying to he's not trying to write the letter for him at first because he, he yeah. wants Chris to come to his own feelings, find his own words, which is a very noble thing. It's, it's you know, again, Steve Martin's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but eventually he just gets to a point of, you know what? Horny may be the best word that you can get out of your head right now. Let me take over. <laughs> uh, uh, and this is where I wrote, Chris is such a goober, and I really hope he doesn't get the girl. Because there was a part of my brain watching this movie just going like, this could end with Chris and Roxanne walking off into the sunset and CD just picking himself up and going, you know what? Well, it just wasn't my time. The end. Yeah. Credit roll. Yeah. Because I couldn't remember how the movie ends. Right? And but then a I... log falls out of a window and hits Steve Martin. <laughs> oh, no. And it's in BC, too. You know people have <laughs> got logs. <laughs> we all carry them around in our back pocket. Yeah. Uh, so we cut to CD Shelley and Roxanne stargazing when she drops that she's received an amazing letter. And I'm like, oh, amazing letter. And then she proceeds to recite it. Bitch, that's not an amazing letter. You've memorized it. So that's <laughs> you can't just be like, oh, it's an amazing letter. It's like, nah, I got every single word down in my brain. Uh, and now, of course, this is the point at which CD becomes the go-between to ask Chris out for a date from Roxanne. And we, he's, he's kind of playing both sides to fall in love with each other. It's, you know, rom-com territory. Yeah. Cool. Great. So Chris shows up for the date, looking handsome, all the way up to his neck. And then you see... <laughs> all the way up to his neck. <laughs> all the way up to his neck. And then you see that he's wearing a hunting cap in order to hide the earpiece that is going into his ear. 
where CD can sit in a van nearby and feed him his words. He looks like Holden Caulfield. I don't know who that is. Uh, Catcher in the Rye. Never read it. <gasps> Actually, you probably would not like him. It's a great book with a very dislikable protagonist. Well, thank you for saving me that trouble. Yes. <laughs> uh, and this is where we start to get the, the sort of Cyrano thing of, I am saying your words for you, literally. Go. Mm. Yeah. And, of course, hijinks happen of uh, things going wrong. Christian uh, is hilariously bad at this. It, it turns out that the frequency they're using is also the same frequency the local police station uses. <laughs> so Christian starts saying local police station things and freaks out and rips the hat off of his head. No, I can't do it. Um, quite funny. It is quite funny. Yeah. Uh, so Roxanne tries to elicit out of him, just use your words. Use, use the words that you used to, to woo me in your letter. Uh, you got a nice body. I really like your boobs. Oh, when he said that, I just, I could feel <laughs> all, of, all of my organs, all of my internal organs were like, no, we got to get out of here right now. <laughs> and he kept staying, saying extemporaneous. Yes, because she she said that his words felt very extemporaneous, which means like off the cuff, you know, unrehearsed. And he obviously doesn't know what it means. So to sound important, he just keeps using it in every sentence. Yeah, it's uh, and he, he keeps on saying extemporaneous and keeps talking about her boobs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, the two worst things. <laughs> extemporaneous boobs. <laughs> Suddenly they were there. Oh, no. Suddenly they were there. <laughs> it's just like his nose. Your boobs were on time, but you were 15 minutes late. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. So she goes off in a huff. Oh, I can't stand you. What's happened to the man who said the nice things? And he goes off paranoid as well. And now we do the proper she's on the balcony. Yeah. He talks to her kind of scene. And again, great adaptation. Great way. Yes, she's got this beautiful house she's staying in. Yes, she can go up to a bedroom window. Uh, I mean, they must have searched. And found, th this is the perfect house. It's beautiful. It's a gorgeous house. Mm -hmm. And, it and it's all sort of like Victorian and three stories. You can't stage this in a bungalow. <laughs> no. Oh, God, no. Can you imagine this film in a bungalow? <laughs> Roxanne, yeah? What are you doing over there? Oh, you know, just uh, putting out my garbage. Hey, isn't that your friend Charlie right next to you? What? Him? No. No, it's... Uh, a shadow. <laughs> uh, so she wants nothing to do with him. Naturally. Yeah, naturally. Because she has a brain in her head. Yep. <laughs> and so CD starts to coach him through it. How can she not hear that he is being coached? 
She she says when CD takes over, your voice sounds different. And he says, you know, I'm transformed by love and the moonlight and things like that. Oh, uh, just, I, uh, yeah, yeah. There's a couple yeah. contrivances that we have to just roll our eyes and say, all right. Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, it's 1987. Sure, let's, <laughs> let's go with this. I can understand the medieval times or, or yesteryear of way yeah, back Our when. parents were making but, insane decisions like having children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a child in this economy? <laughs> uh, so he manages to woo her and what he talks about in this scene, it's beautiful. It really is like it's it's flowery and purple, but there's yeah. this real feeling of sincerity behind it. He talks about, you know, how she makes him feel transformed in a way that he's never felt before. And just just such lovely words. And it's kind of at this point that I realized, oh, that's why they had to make Chris a great big goober because there's no way a regular human being would stand next to anyone saying <laughs> that to a person and go, he's doing it because he's a real good friend. Yeah, exactly. He's right? the best friend in the world. He's just, he's just a real good friend who happens to have the most romantic language geared towards the woman I want to bone. Yeah. Uh, and then CD uses the word love and she uses the word love. And I'm like, oh, no, it's you guys have known each other for like a week. Too yeah. early for love. Ugh. So Chris gets to fuck Roxanne. Yeah. She's like, I'm so in love. I, you come on up. And Chris is like, sweet. My turn now. Great. Tag me in, bro. Yeah. CD is so overwhelmed, he starts to climb up the house, and Chris has... Yeah. <sighs> it's, it's, it's just so, so sweet. It's like, no, yeah. no, no, you deserve this love. So CD goes off and has a really funny scene with a bunch of old ladies. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> where, where he tells them he's, he's, uh, he's just been abducted by aliens, but they've only come down to Earth to find... Uh, sexual, uh, sexually um, experienced older women. Because, quote, <laughs> they really know what they're doing. And these ladies go off delighted to go find some fuck aliens. Because they go, yeah, it probably didn't happen, but what if it did? <laughs> <laughs> and it just feels like, again, this is that rich world building. This mm. is the kind of he makes up in this town but these girls are out for an adventure now it's not just let's go home and watch what were they going to watch uh, it, was, it was some dynasty it was like dynasty or dallas yeah 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 it was but instead now they're off to go find some aliens who might have <laughs> their way with them <laughs> oh it's, but it's again delightful. it just shows you nobody in this town is playing at the same level as cd no uh and so we cut to what could be perceived as the next day. Chris is in the bar talking with the bartender, but he doesn't see her as a woman woman, right? This is the first woman he has interacted with in this film where he doesn't immediately want to throw up. Yeah, they're joking with each other. They have really great rapport. 
it's really good chemistry. And he's he's actually quite charming at this point, too. Yeah, he's making jokes that Roxanne would probably think are, like, cheesy or overdone, but that the um, the bartender, Sandy, genuinely finds funny. Yeah, so she asks him, uh, you want a beer? Yes. Draft? And he says, I don't think this is a joke. It's okay, I'll put on a sweater. <laughs> because it seems like a genuine thing, this big himbo would say and (laughs) when i heard that line i had an intense flashback to when i was about six or seven Uh uh-huh and for some reason my family did like a christmas trip down to pennsylvania Uh uh-huh don't know why i'll have to ask mom or dad about it at some point because it still boggles my mind and we stayed at this sort of uh church slash bed and breakfast thing and everybody was interacting there was another family with a little boy and i made friends and they invited me over to their table for dinner and i sat down and um they they were passing things around uh in big communal dining area mm-hmm. you know tons of other families my family could see me a couple tables over and, you know it's fine whatever it's not they're going to abduct me from two tables over and <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure there's more to it that, you know, little six-year-old yeah. me was totally oblivious to. And at some point during dinner, they asked, chilly? I said, no, it's quite warm in here. <laughs> <laughs> I had never had chilly before. Oh my God. <laughs> but I remember distinctly being like, no, it's warm in here. I'm okay. <laughs> that would have been you you've got to think too the cutest fucking shit coming out of this little six-year-old um i like to imagine that maybe i was cute at some point (laughs) now here i am ravaged by time But anyway, it's it's a it's a really charming scene between Sandy the bartender and Chris. Mm-hmm. They've got good chemistry. He's not nervous because he's it's probably because he's not thinking about getting into a pants. But it's also a very nice scene where, you know, they have some rapport going and Sandy goes like we should maybe be careful because I know Roxanne likes you and he's like, "Well, we can just talk to each other." It it doesn't feel like they're crossing a line and flirting with each other at this point. No. No, no. And it's lovely. We mm-hmm. cut to uh, CD perching a bird on his nose <laughs> while he writes Roxanne a letter. It's just, yes, great. I love it. She's currently out of town because she's going to do some comment stuff, you know, probably yeah. solidifying her discovery. And so we get this montage of letters, him writing them putting them in the envelope, mailing them, her getting them, opening up, reading them. Oh, I love it. Love it. Great. Awesome. Her growing increasingly horny at these letters. Yeah. And occasionally intercut with the fire dudes being real bad at their job. But sure. Okay. Good for them. They're trying. And you get the point of the montage, right, is to show the passage of time as quickly as possible. 
And also, at first, he's very shy about mailing the letters. He walks away from the post box if anybody comes by or recognizes him or something like that. And then by the end, he's like doing tricks on his bike, dropping them in. He's just so happy. The the reason I say this montage is there to try and show a long period of time in a short Mm -hmm. way is because looking at this montage, you might think, ah, over the course of weeks, perhaps even perhaps even months. This romance continued, letters back and forth. But you find out <laughs> she's been gone five days and he's written her like four letters a day. Yeah. And somehow the postman keeps coming back to the various post boxes and mailing them back out. <laughs> where another postman has been picking them up and dropping them off at various points of the day just between these two. They have. Oh, and also Chris is not aware of any of these. No, why would you do that? Ugh. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway. Shelly Duvall and CD meet up, and this is where she kind of shakes it and says, you need to tell Roxanne the truth, right? But this is where CD finds out Chris is going to go meet Roxanne at her place, but oh shit, Chris doesn't know about the letters, and Roxanne is back, and... Uh, three letters a day, totaling 20 letters in a week. What <laughs> the fuck? Holy shit, guys. He runs to Roxanne's place to warn Chris, and it quickly becomes one of those comedies of hide-and-seek, like, I gotta move you into this room so that this character can move out of there. We just did this a couple weeks ago in the Pink Panther. In the Pink Panther, yeah. yeah. Yeah, with more people. With more people, Yeah. <laughs> And longer. <laughs> uh, so this is where Roxanne asks Chris, like, oh, I just, I want to hear the words straight from your mouth. I see them written down and I, I, they, they fire me up so much with passion and romance. And I want to hear them out of your mouth. And he says, I want to travel with you. And no, I hate pasta. So he bails. <laughs> it's this this turnaround of I want to travel with you, but wait, I hate pasta. She says, I want to go to concerts. And he's like, Well, we could boogie. <laughs> uh, and this is where Chris comes to his own realization mm-hmm. that she's not meant for him. And it feels really good in this film that it's not Steve Martin breaking it to him. It's not Shelley Duvall. It's not Roxanne. It's him realizing, oh, the way I feel around you, while it's lustful and horny. Yeah. And they both say that they had incredible sex. Oh, yeah, for sure. Look at them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he he self-realizes you're not the person for me. I need to go find Sandy, who he had just found out as well is going to be moving to Reno or Las mm. Vegas. She can get better tips. And it's funny too, because he has traveled all over and this is something that Sandy finds really interesting about him, but Roxanne brings it up and he immediately shuts it down. Yeah. And it's, it really is like seeing the best parts of yourself in your partner as well. Mm-hmm. 
right? That, that's, They're both excited that's... about the same things. Mm-hmm. And he feels comfortable and he feels natural around her. And, you know, while he's having amazing sex with Roxanne, that's all he's having with Roxanne. Yeah. Guys, don't get into relationships because the sex is good. Don't only get in relationships because the sex is good. Thank you. But that's the word I was missing, only. Because I've seen it. I've seen it from a lot of friends. And every single time does not end well. No. No. No sex is good enough for a bad relationship. Ooh. 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 You don't want to end up like those guys I see at work who are just like, ugh. My fucking wife wants to take me out shopping for antiques this weekend. You know, the old ball and chain. I'm just like, if you hate her so much, just divorce her. Yeah. It's not worth it, guys. Holy shit. Can you imagine spending that much time of your life with somebody that you don't even like? No. Because I make it very clear to people that I don't like. That I don't (laughs) want to be over. I, I don't tell them I don't like them. But I won't find ways to be around them as much as yeah. as I could be. Oh God! Both of us have divorced parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's true. But my mom's so happy in her second mm-hmm. marriage. Mm-hmm. My dad is my dad. <laughs> he's he's got a long term girlfriend. She's lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a I was a bridesmaid at my aunt's wedding. Both of them were. Uh, in their 50s and it's one of the most beautiful weddings i've ever seen oh those two are so lovely together i remember when they were dating and it was just like (laughs) oh and they were in their 40s and he didn't want to be uh, a boyfriend because they're like what do you call him he's not a boyfriend (laughs) he's so cute Mm -hmm. oh i'm I'm so happy that they're still together yeah uh makes me feel warm and tingles i I love love guys turns out i love love it's the perfect month for it it's the perfect month for love so at least chris does the smart thing and writes roxanne a letter saying that he is leaving with sandy uh and it's at this point that roxanne finally puts two and two together of hold on a second the fuck did he write me <laughs> he misspells things, you know, his sentences are like five words long. Just awful, awful writing. And, and at the same time, Dixie gets a hand on a letter and hands it over and says on it, Charlie wrote this. Yeah. And so she's figured out that he, he's he's written it. And this is where we have the scene from the play where he reads the letter out loud to her and she realizes you're not reading from the letter, you're reading Mm -hmm. from memory. Yeah. Because even though he just wrote this letter and even though he wrote 20 letters previous to it, yeah, of course CD's the kind of guy that would memorize these letters because they mean the world to him. Because Mm -hmm. she means the world to him. Ugh. However, because CD is not immediately dying from a head wound, Roxanne does the sensible thing and gets really mad at him. (laughs) And gives him a head wound. Yes. (laughs) She she punches him. Uh, And they both start screaming at each other like, you know, how could you be so stupid? And why did you think I was so stupid? And yada, yada, yada. And getting every grievance that they've ever had out at each other. And she... (laughs) 
My favorite thing is when she slams back inside the house and he starts very loudly counting down from 10 to when he's going to leave because he doesn't really want to leave, of course, and he doesn't want to stop arguing with her. No. And like you had said before, they never attack one another. They they never try to to really hurt one another. Like they, you know, he says some <laughs> hurtful things about how off, how uh, quickly she slept with Chris. But, uh, you know, that was also because he was really mad that it wasn't him. She's saying, you know, how did you do all those things? And he's like, well, it worked on you. And at no point is she like, your nose is ugly. Or how could you, she's genuinely upset because she's been lied to. Mm-hmm. in terms of the person that she's fallen in love with. And that's that's the upsetting thing. It's yeah. not it's not that she slept with the wrong guy. It's not it's not any of this. It it's more so like there was a big deception, but it's kind of led us to this point. And I have to be angry because hey, guess what? It's an appropriate emotional response at this point. Again, we don't have to be nice because you are dying. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but he confesses that uh, uh, he did it out of love. Mm-hmm. And they yell at each other over the porch. Um, and I wrote here, yell more sl- sessions for sleeping. Oh, yes. At one point, she opens the door and she's like, what did you just say? And he says, oh, that's right. Yes. He, he had said something to her. She didn't hear it right. She said, why would you say yell more sessions for sleeving? And he said, five more seconds before I'm leaving. And he goes, why would I say that? And she goes, I don't know. That's why I asked you. And it's just one of those <laughs> instances. Neither of them want this to end. But no. then the plot interrupts. <laughs> what little plot the rest of the movie could come up with. Yes. The, the, the rest of the characters in this town finally gathered enough uh, bits and pieces of their various <laughs> plot devices to put together into a larger plot device, which was the cow. The cow was placed in a barn where it knocked over an oil lamp and it's burning the barn down. Uh, if only this movie was set in Chicago, maybe <laughs> in the 1800s, maybe it was a great time for fire. <laughs> I don't think or, I've got it. Can you can you walk me a little bit closer to this? It's the Great Molasses Flood of Boston. <laughs> <laughs> but CD in like the one actual nose joke of the movie is able to smell this fire before anyone else. Yeah, but the nose joke again. It's not really as at his expense. No, and it and it's never been put forward at any other point in the film that he has an incredible olfactory sense. Yeah, it just all of a sudden I smell fire, and he walks the entire fire department over to this fire that the cow has started that nobody can see because it was inside the house the whole time. Ooh. Check the on the children. Was inside, <laughs> the inside the house. Um. <laughs> uh, why there hasn't been a fire here for 25 years no really i don't think there's been a fire there for 25 years yeah uh beautiful blue danube plays the whole time they did it they finally did it these dingus fire boys (laughs) (laughs) 
finally put out a fire without potentially murdering one of each other by accident. Yes. So, sad saxophone as CD wanders off to his room to contemplate. And who should show up? It's Roxanne. He climbs up onto his roof like the little fat kid child he, he is inside. And she yells up at him. That she loves him back. And she loves his nose. And they love everything about each other. And this is where the most awkward kiss, but still somehow romantic, <laughs> happens. As if you she... haven't seen this movie, they have to figure out how to kiss sort of like around his nose. Just tilt your head, guys. It's yeah. not that hard. Not everybody <laughs> kisses directly face to face with each other. I like to destroy uh, my kiss-ease nose in a show of dominance. <laughs> I just like to cut my entire mouth around the person's nose. <laughs> <laughs> and then blow as hard as I can. <laughs> you know how to whistle, don't you? <laughs> you just put your lips together and blow. <laughs> that is the exact line delivery as well. <laughs> Fame film noir scene. Don't together. Push some air through them. Oh, yuck, yuck. I'm sorry, I, I'm still caught on the fact of you just, like, opening your mouth and unhinging your jaw. <laughs> well, you gotta get everything in there, right? Uh, guys, it's, um, it's New Year's Adam, as we record, the day before New Year's Eve. Comes first, not as good, uh, and we've both been drinking champagne. Champagne. <laughs> oh... Uh, but they kiss, and it's it's beautiful, it's lovely, and the camera pans upwards, and we see the comet going by, and we get a nice little voiceover, as it's clear they've gone off to fuck, yeah. but not before they have a quick thing about, oh, I named the comet, oh, what did you name it? Charlie, oh, isn't that sweet? Yeah, after my dad! Which, <laughs> why, why did it have to be the Freudian... Uh, inclusion that her love interest and her dad have the same name. To be fair, everybody calls him CD. Yeah. You know, a normal human name. CD. <laughs> I <sighs> once dated a guy with the same name as, uh, uh, same first name as my dad, and it was weird. Yeah, it gets real weird, real yeah. fast. Yeah. My ex had the same name as one of my dogs. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And, and and that's, that's Roxanne. That's the end, guys. Romance. So, Sam, is it camp? I think this is camp only in terms of, like, Steve Martin's firing on all cylinders. And I think there's something about Steve Martin that's, like, the most accessible camp in the world. Yes, mm. he's a comedian, but it's it's always a little off kilter with him, mm -hmm. right? I, I I know how to describe it. It's Steve Martin, guys. Go watch some Steve Martin stuff. He's great. It, it's 
it never feels like you're getting like the quote unquote real Steve Martin. It always feels, even when he's being affable and things like that, it always feels like you're getting a performance of Steve Martin. Mm -hmm. So there's camp in that, but I, I think as a whole, this film is so down the middle, like rom-com, beautiful leads. Uh, there's no real conflict in the movie. That's also, that's also unusual, right? Like, Nobody hates each other. They briefly hate each other at the end, but you know, you, you'd think that that asshole perv would become like the thorn in everyone's side. Nope. Forget no, normally, him. normally you see in um, a romance story, particularly romance novels, which I I do read a lot of. Um, you know, they'll they'll have to be some other plot that will save characters together. So that's how you get like a lot of romance mysteries where they have to solve a murder together or something like that or they have to go on a road trip together um and none of that really happens because roxanne and cd are just friends like they meet they hit it off they're friends and that's it yeah and then turns out she loves his words and he's always loved her and yeah it's respectful and romantic i'm, I'm gonna say roxanne is not camp uh, I gotta agree with you. It's not camp. Um, if this was not a story that I felt so deeply about, uh, if it's not obvious, I really love Cyrano de Bergerac. Um, I I might feel differently about it if it was something else that was updated. A Shakespeare adaptation is a is a bad example because I'm also a Shakespeare nerd. Um, but yeah, there's there's plenty of stuff out there that's an adaptation that reimagines stories in a new way for a new generation, if you will, um, that doesn't capture, I think, like the essential heart and purity of the original story. Um, and I think Roxanne does. It's a very, very simple plot when you get down to it that's why we said you know it's been adapted so much you can have any sitcom do a roxanne or cyrano de bergerac plot um but this has a lot of respect for the play as well i don't think roxanne is camp no and i i will say this after seeing it as well i was expecting more mm -hmm. and i don't know what that more is i like the film i love steve martin's performance uh, it's the movie goes by real quick too like, it's very much like a sort of slice of life over a summer you know there's mm -hmm. it's sort of pastoral in that way but i wanted an epic romance mm. right and this doesn't deliver me an epic romance and that's why the new cyrano film i i, feel I think really we're gonna get that yeah I feel really drawn towards it. Like I need to see this because it will be the epic romance. It will be, you know, love at all costs. Yeah, you know, love is a many splendid thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need, <laughs> all is, you love. need is love. Uh, yeah, and you know, if Joe Wright knows how to do anything, he knows how to make an absolutely stunning romantic film. I'm so excited and. Fingers crossed, it, it comes on Netflix pretty soon as well because yeah. things are getting a little weird outside. Yeah. Uh, podcasts are this weird time capsule of, oh, this COVID thing's weird. Well, things are getting better now. Oh, cases are going up. Well, we've got the vaccine now. Oh, 
cases are going up. Oh, people are refusing to get the vaccine. Oh, there's new this new variant. Well, we beat the old variant, and now we're out of lockdown. Oh, a new variant's coming back. Sarah, you're getting too dark. <laughs> back, back to romance, please. <laughs> Quick, somebody push a log out a window. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I recommend seeing this film. It's fun. It's lovely. Yeah, yeah, just take it for what it is. It's not going to be uh, a be-all, end-all Moulin Rouge of a film. Um, it is very much sort of the anti-Moulin Rouge. It's just two people who meet and like each other. Yeah, and you know what? Sometimes that's lovely as well. Mm-hmm. So thank you for joining us today on our exploration of Roxanne. Please subscribe on your podcaster of choice. Leave a star rating or review where you can, because it always helps us to find new people who may not know what their camp favorite is. Yes. And next week we will be discussing Down With Love. Technically not a musical, but I, I feel like we can sort of squeak this in under our many, many musicals so far. It has... I. You know, peek behind the pod curtain for a second. I did watch it earlier today because I was making a bunch of cheesecakes. I made nine cheesecakes, guys. I thought you were exaggerating. <sighs> you really did make nine cheesecakes? Well, I made four fully sized ones and I had a bunch of cheesecake mix left over. And I went, well, now I guess I got to make a bunch of small cheesecakes, <laughs> which totaled to nine. So I also had to, like the first four I made with store-bought pie crust and then I got to the last five and I went well I don't have any pie crust left I guess I'm making a pie crust as I go to <laughs> and I guess we'll see how that goes but uh, yeah I watched Down with Love earlier today and uh, I got a lot to talk about with that Phil I was telling Sam I haven't seen this movie in at least five years. I own it on DVD. I've watched a bunch. Uh, I really do enjoy this film but uh, I'll have to hold off more thoughts on that until next week Oh, ab- absolutely. But um, yeah, there's there's just so much occurring in it. And yeah. I can't wait to discuss that with you. You can continue the discussion of this film, Roxanne, on our Twitter and Instagram accounts. I am at Chris Indigo, all one word, R-H-Y-S, the Welsh way. The Welsh way. And I am at Sour Citrus Lady. You can follow the pod on at Is It Camp Pod. Until next week, wait an hour before swimming, watch out for snakes, and stay camp. Ta-ra. Bye.